The scripture reading today is from 1 Samuel chapter 16, 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So, the Sam, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Would you pray quickly with me again? Father, we thank you for your word, and we invite your Holy Spirit to speak to us from it, and we ask this in Christ's name, amen. So this passage is the account of a moment in the history of Israel when God sent a prophet to find a new king. King, king Saul was the ruler of the land at that time, and God had rejected Saul because of his disobedience. And so the Lord sent the prophet Samuel to anoint Saul's replacement, who turned out to be David. And um, I don't know how you feel about this story, but for many um, readers of the Bible, this, this is one of the most endearing uh, passages in the whole Bible, just, just a very heart 
heartwarming story. You know, the tall, handsome, older brothers, they are not selected. But who is it? It's the little, forgotten baby brother, right? He's the one who's selected by the Lord. And how do you, listen, how do you not love a story like that, right? I mean, there's something, I think there's something in all of us that we just love, um, we love underdog stories like this, right? The, the forgotten one is chosen. The little guy wins. You know, think of, just think of how many, how many classic stories can you think of that kind of fit that pattern? The ugly duckling grows up to be a swan, right? The tortoise who outraces the hare. Cinderella, who is despised by her stepmother, but she's the one who's loved by the charming prince. Or... Um, Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. You remember how all the other reindeers used to laugh and call him names? They never let poor Rudolph join in any reindeer games, right? But Rudolph, he's the one chosen by Santa. He's the, he's the one who saved Christmas for all of us. So we just, you, we love um, these kinds of stories, underdog tales. And, and you could say that this passage does fit that pattern. But... Um, I'd like to suggest to you today that this passage is more than just that. This is more than just a Cinderella tale. This, this passage, I think, points to two spiritual realities that are significant for every one of us. It point, it's, this points to a common problem, a problem we all have, and it points to God's surprising solution for that problem. So, so first, uh, the common problem. At the, at the beginning of this passage, you can just kind of sense that the, there's a problem in Israel, right? If you look at the first four verses, basically everyone who is described there is either sad or scared or both sad and scared, right? Verse 1 says that Samuel is grieving over uh, God's rejection of Saul. He's very sad. Then verse 2 says that Samuel is scared that Saul is going to kill him. Then for some reason, verse 4 says that the elders of Bethlehem are terrified when the prophet shows up in their town. So clearly, clearly there is a problem. No one at the beginning of the passage, no one is happy. Everyone is either filled with fear or filled with sorrow. So clearly, something is wrong in Israel. Now, what's wrong was the king. Uh, king Saul was a really, um, he was just a bad ruler. If you ever get a chance to read the biblical record of this man Saul, you'll, you'll find out that King Saul, he was a man who often made uh, rash foolish decisions that hurt the entire nation. He's a man who cared more about his popularity in the eyes of others than in doing what was right. He's a man who was frequently controlled by his anger and governed by his fear. And what's worse, he was a king who at key moments of his reign disobeyed clear commandments from the Lord and then tried to make excuses for his disobedience. So he, Saul was not a good king. And so the reason, I think, that in the beginning of this passage, the reason there's so much sorrow and fear among everyone is that at that time in their history, Israel was not governed by a godly leader. And, and, and listen, when, when a nation when, or a community does not have a good leader, everyone suffers from it. Proverbs 9 verse 22 says, when the wicked rule, the people 
groan. It, everyone was suffering because they have a bad king. Now, someone might be thinking, wait, wait a minute, I, I thought that God loved Israel. I thought they were his chosen people, the apple of his eye. So wait, if God loved Israel, why did God give them such a bad king? And the, the answer, some of you know this, the answer is basically this. God gave them the kind of king they asked for. God gave them what they had asked for. You see, up, up to the time of King Saul, up to the time of Saul, there was, Israel had no king. Israel was a nation unlike any other nation in the world. They, they were a nation governed by the Lord, the God who had made a covenant with them. So, so through his prophets and, and through his priests and through his judges, God himself watched over his people. God himself shepherded them and guided them and protected them. And as long as they listened to the voice of the Lord, as long as they heeded his word, everything went well for them. But uh, it seems that they were not happy with that. They weren't content with this thought of being governed and shepherded and ruled by the Lord. So in 1 Samuel chapter 8, you, you, read, um, you read that Israel, the people of Israel began to look at all the pagan nations that surrounded them and just kind of look at how other people were living. And one thing they observed, one thing they noticed about all these pagan nations is that every one of these nations had a guy with a long robe and a crown and a throne and a look of authority, every one of them had a king. And they started to think, why don't we have a king? It'd be so nice to be like the rest of the nations. And so they began to clamor and cry out, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. Samuel, who was the prophet at the time, he tried to talk them out of it, like you don't need a king, you have the Lord, you have this God who's made a covenant with you, but they kept saying, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king, and finally, God came to Samuel, and he said, Samuel, let's give them what they want. Let's, let's give them what they're asking for. And in, in 1 Samuel 8, verse 7, you'll, you'll read what is perhaps one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. God said to the prophet, it is not you they have rejected. They have rejected me as their king. So, in spite of this counsel that they received from Samuel, in, in spite of the warnings that the prophet gave them, they made a tragic decision. They made, they made a decision to reject the authority of God over them and just, and, and, and just do things their way. And so, God gave them what they asked for. He, he, sometimes God does that, doesn't he? We're asking for the wrong thing. He might give it to us. God gave them Saul. And if you read the story of Saul, you realize Saul was exactly the kind of king they had in mind. I mean, Saul, Saul just looked like a king. If you were the casting director of a movie and you needed a king to play some role, Saul is the guy you would cast in that role. He was, you, you read in 1 Samuel 9, verse 2, Saul was as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was, get this, he was a head taller than anyone else. You look in a room, you, he's the first guy you spot. He's just this tall, good-looking, well-built man with sort of a regal bearing to the way he carried himself. He looked, Saul looked like a king on the outside. But on the inside, this man Saul had 
none of the spiritual qualities that would enable him to, to lead God's people in a path of wisdom. So the reason at the start of this passage there is so much sorrow and fear and remorse is because the people had made a decision to disregard wise counsel, to disregard the voice of God, and now because of their decision, they're in this situation where they're just filled with regret. And I wonder if you would agree with me that that's a common problem. Israel, they're not the last people to make decisions they regret. I mean, this is something that I, I would say every one of us, no exception, every one of us at some point in our life, we will make decisions regardless of perhaps people who are telling us this is a bad idea, don't do that. We'll make decisions that later will just fill our lives with, with sorrow. We, maybe we'll fail to heed God's word or we will ignore the voice of conscience. Or, or, or maybe we'll shun the path of wisdom or just, you know, dismiss the godly counsel of others and, and we will find ourselves in situations where there's remorse and sorrow and regret and maybe even shame. So listen, let's not just pick on Israel. This happens to all of us. For example, Hebrews, Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And maybe you know that verse, or maybe you've heard that kind of counsel. Be content with what you have. But you ignored that counsel, and now you've got credit card debts you don't know if you'll ever, ever repay. Or another example, maybe when you were young, your father told you, son, don't look at pornography. Don't look at naked people on the computer. I'm warning you, that stuff is poison. And you didn't listen to your dad, and now you just feel like you're hooked on this. I mean, it's horrible. You fight against it with the, the Spirit's help. You can fight, but you just wish that was a battle you didn't have to fight. You, you wish you didn't have to wake up every day of your life and fight with this struggle. Or, or another example, maybe your spouse used to say to you, honey, you work too much. You work all the time. You need to spend some time with our kids. But you didn't listen. Now the kids are grown. They're gone. You can never get those years back. You wonder why they don't call. So I'm, I'm not trying to pick on anyone or make you feel bad. I'm just, I'm just pointing out, isn't it so easy for any of us to just ignore good counsel and make bad decisions and then just like the people of Israel in this passage, find, find ourselves filled with regret. Your, your, your doctor told you to change your diet. <laughs> Mine did, but you didn't listen. Or, 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 or your friend warned you, you're going to ruin your marriage if you don't deal with your anger. But you didn't listen. Or your pastor counseled you, what a nag that pastor is. If you, keep, if you skip church, sooner or later, you're going to drift from the Lord. But you didn't listen. Or your God said to you, Proverbs 4, verse 23, above all else. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. For out of it flow all the issues of life. And you didn't listen. And again, I'm not trying to pick on any of us. I'm just saying, can't we relate? Can't we relate to Israel? Haven't we all done this? It's such a common problem. We, we make decisions and then later we, they just 
bring us into this situation where we say, why did I do that? Why did I demand a king? It's, it's common. You know, Proverbs 20, verse 9 says, Who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin? Who can say that? Not me. And would you agree? Not you. Right? So just like Israel in this passage, this is a very common problem. Now, Secondly, I want us to look at God's surprising solution. What, what was God's solution to this problem that Israel had placed themselves in? What, what does God do for them? Now, listen, before I answer that, can I just point out a few things? I find this fascinating. A few things that God does not do. First, will you notice that God did not abandon Israel to the troubles that they were in. So some people, that's the impression they have of God. It, th their impression of God is if you make a mistake, just purely out of spite, God will abandon you to deal with the consequences of that. That's, that's the way they think God is. But did you notice here, God did not do that with his people, did he? Right? God, God did not come to them and say, oh, now you're sad that you have this king. You're the ones who asked for him. You're the ones who wanted Saul. You chose this. It's your problem. I'm not helping you. That's not what God did. Lamentations 3 verse 22 says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. How many of you are glad the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases? His, even when we do stupid things, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. So notice them. Notice in this passage, instead of just abandoning them to Saul, well, that's the guy you wanted, now you're stuck. God rejected Saul. He did not reject his people. He rejected Saul, and he sent Samuel. Samuel, go find them a new king. These are my children. These are my people. You need a new king. Verse, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. Be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be the king. So the first thing to notice is that God, they, they're the ones that chose this situation, but God did not abandon them to their troubles. The, the second thing to notice is that God did not condemn them to a lifetime of remorse and sorrow. God, God specifically told Samuel, stop mourning. How long will you mourn for Saul? Now, I, I want to make sure you understand what I'm about to say. I, I, I don't want you to accuse Pastor Ellis as getting soft on sin. That's not, that's not what I'm saying here. Listen, um, okay. When we disobey God, when we defy God's word, it is appropriate for us as we repent to grieve and lament and mourn and weep over our sin. It is appropriate to mourn over sin. But when God extends his mercy to you, my brother, my sister, when God extends his mercy, it's time to stop mourning. Amen? Ecclesiastes 3 verse 3 says there is a time to weep and there is a time to laugh. There is a time to mourn and there is a time to dance. And Christian, listen to me. When God has forgiven your sins, it's time to start dancing. 
And so God says to Samuel, listen, Samuel, stop mourning over Saul. I don't want you to go the rest of your life banging your head against the wall and, and, and grieving because what has happened. He's telling it's time to stop that. And I just wonder, I don't know if anyone here today, God is just, that's what he wants to say to you. Yes, you've made some mistakes. Yes, you've done some things wrong. But God is just saying, I want you to stop beating yourself up over this. God says, my, my son died for you. you you've, you've been forgiven. Stop beating yourself up and start believing the gospel. Stop mourning. Romans, Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is thou therefore now no condemnation. Can you say that with me? No condemnation. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So is, isn't this something with, with ancient Israel? God... What does God do? First, he does not abandon them to their troubles. Secondly, he does not condemn them to a, a lifetime of sorrow. He says, stop that mourning. And, and then notice, thirdly, uh, God did not expect them to solve this problem on their own. My, wouldn't it be horrible if God did that with us? If, if you know, we do, we do something wrong and we make some big mistake, wouldn't it be horrible if God said, all right, I, I've forgiven your sin. Jesus died for you. You are forgiven. But listen, this mess you've made, you've got to clean it up yourself. You have to deal with this on your own. I'm out of here. You've made this bed. You lie in it. You figure out how to solve this. Wouldn't it be horrible if God did that? I, I don't know how I would make it through life if God did that with us. And I wonder if Samuel was thinking that maybe he was the one who had to solve this problem. He's the one who has to figure out how to find a new king. I mean, we've made this mistake. Maybe we can fix it. I, I wonder if he thought that. Verse 6 says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. Eliab was the oldest son. And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. I mean, look at the biceps on that guy. Will you look at how tall he is? Look how broad his shoulders are. Did you notice those rugged, chiseled features of his face? Surely the Lord's anointed stands here. And, and God is like, Samuel, Samuel, stop. Why don't you just let me handle this? Just let me handle this. Sammy, you don't have to solve this problem on your own. You, do, you don't have, you, no, you don't have to figure out who the next king is going to be. You don't, Samuel, you don't have to be the one to usher in the kingdom. Uh, Samuel, you don't have to be the one to accomplish your own salvation. You don't have to do this. Let me choose. Let me handle this. And so, verse 7, God says to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height. I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In other words, he's saying, Samuel, I want you to let me do this because you can't. There is no way. There's no way you could ever see into the heart of the person, but I can do this. Solving this problem, saving the nation, bringing in the kingdom, this is beyond your purview. You can't do this. So let me, let me solve this for you. And so one after another, Jesse brings in his tall, handsome sons, one after another, and one after another, God whispers into the ear of his prophet, not him, not him, not him, not him. 
And when you get to verse 11, I wonder, I wonder what the look was on Samuel's face, just complete bewilderness, scratching his head. Like, why, the room is, we looked at everyone here, and he says to Jesse, are, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse says, I mean, there's the youngest. <laughs> he's, out, he's out with the sheep in the field. I didn't even bother to invite him. He's just a kid. He's just a little boy. And Samuel says, Send for him. We're not going to sit down until he comes. And then verse 12 says, So they sent for him, and he was brought in. And the rest is history. And, and here's what I find just so gripping about this. God's solution for the sorrowful mess they had made of their lives through their own foolish, sinful decisions. God's solution was not to abandon them to the consequences of the choices they had made. It was not to condemn them to a lifetime of remorse and sorrow. It was not to expect them to solve the problem on their own. God's solution was to give them an unlikely king, a little boy from Bethlehem, Does that ring a bell? Little boy from Bethlehem? This is, this is purely coincidence. Here's what just it intrigues me and fascinates me about, about this story. God's, listen, God's solution for the sorrow in my life brought about by foolish, sinful decisions I have made and, and, and can I say God's solution for sorrow in your life brought about by foolish, sinful decisions you have made <laughs> was to send us a little boy from Bethlehem, the most unlikely king, not, not great King David, no, great David's greater son, right? Not the youngest son of Jesse. No, the only begotten son of God. Not some kid who's glowing with health and fine in appearance and handsome features. No, the one who had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. God's solution was not, not the one who was forgotten by his father in the sheep field. No, the one who for our salvation was forsaken by his Father on the cross. God's solution for all the sorrow and all the regret and all the remorse in your life and mine brought about by sinful choices we've made was to send us Jesus. He's the answer. God doesn't say, I'm going to abandon you. You're on your own. God doesn't say, I want you to beat yourself up for the rest of your life. God doesn't say, you've got to figure out how to solve this on your own. God just says, here's my son, Jesus. Let him be your king. And isn't he an unlikely king? The prophet Isaiah said he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by mankind, a, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, the wounds of this unlikely king, listen to me, listen to me, we are healed. And I, I wonder if there's anyone here today, you just need inner healing. There's just this weight, perhaps, of remorse or shame even, or sorrow. You, you just wish you could go back and make a decision again and do it differently, but you can't. And I wonder if today God is just saying to you, it's time to stop mourning. And it's time to let my King Jesus heal you. I don't know how he's going to do that for you today, but if, if, if you just sense God is saying that today, there's something deep inside. God just like, I don't want you carrying that burden anymore. Jesus needs to heal you. If that's the case, would you uh, pray with me now? In fact, why don't we all pray? Father, you, you do for us through Jesus things that we can never do for ourselves, things we can't even explain. He's the king, not us. He's the anointed, not us. And he comes with, with healing power and forgiving power and restoring power. And so we welcome, we welcome King Jesus right now. We pray that he would just... Um, touch those deep places in our heart or life where there is regret, that he would wipe every tear from our eyes, that he as the anointed one, anointed with the Spirit, would bring the freshness and the hope and the joy and the power of the kingdom to those areas of our lives where we, where we where we brought about sorrow, may he bring dancing and joy. And we ask this for his glory alone. Amen.